This is a CBC Podcast. Just before midnight on December 31st, 2022, sirens went off across Ukraine. Russia had launched a barrage of drone attacks. As missiles rained down on their homes and schools, Ukrainian citizens spent New Year's Eve huddled in subway stations and shelters. The attacks that began midday yesterday continued into the new year. Ukraine's Air Force... Meanwhile, thousands of kilometers away, a log cabin in rural Ontario is full of people making merry. It's the home of a Russian family. But some of the guests are Ukrainians who, not so long ago, were in a war zone. Here, they can forget their troubles, at least for a moment. And when the clock strikes 12, the sky fills with fireworks, not bombs. In hard times, who do you expect to come to your aid? Friends, family, colleagues, or your close community might offer to lend a hand. It's rare for a complete stranger to jump in, but sometimes help comes from unlikely places. I'm Duncan McHugh, and this is a hell of a story. The voices you just heard at that New Year's Eve party are just a few of the tens of thousands of Ukrainian refugees who fled to Canada after Russia invaded their homeland last year. Carving out a new life from nothing isn't easy. Here's John Chipman with the story of one woman determined to help. For Olha Suhina, it started with the whoosh of helicopter blades. I look on my youngest son, he's six, he go to playground with his friends, and I look in the window, and uh, it was helicopter, and I don't know, it's our or Russian helicopter, and my kids, ah, and I, no, I can't help. Olha, her husband and three children lived in Odessa on the Black Sea in southern Ukraine. She loved her life. Before that morning, she never imagined leaving the vibrant city of a million people. But now, with a military aircraft hovering outside? My kids cry, my dog <laughs> scared, and I need to decide. And I decide to left my home. Her husband, however, wanted to stay. To protect their business, he said, and their dog. He was convinced the conflict would end quickly. Olha didn't want to leave either, but she packed up her three children and a single backpack and headed out. When we left our city, it was a big line, 50 kilometers, and we uh, don't have a gas. I think it may be one day stay, two days stay in the car. It's it's February, it's cold, and we need to warm car, yeah, heating. And uh, I asked um, a driver, come on, let's go, I know another road. <laughs> This other road was deserted, but as they pulled up to a bridge, Olha realized why they were all alone. It was Russian ships right on the sea and close for us. It was so dangerous. If you know that the Russian ships stay on the sea and you can see this and they can see you too. The bridge was now a target, 
But for Olha, there was no turning back. And I know I need to move in now. I feel it. And now, now, we need to go. Our driver turned off the lights. The car crawled across the bridge, shrouded in darkness, Olha's eyes never leaving the ship floating offshore. They made it. Two weeks later, the bridge was destroyed. I don't want to leave Ukraine. I want to stay in Ukraine and uh, help my country. But I am a mom first. It was time for another life-changing decision. She and her three kids caught a flight to Toronto. So Oli at some point contacted me and said she is going to come to Canada. And I said, you know, if my house is free, I can certainly offer it. This is Katya Sundukova. She lives in Caledon Hills, an hour north of Toronto. She's been helping Ukrainians resettle in Canada for the past year. It's very hard as a host to plan anything. Honestly, when people come, you don't know how long they're going to stay, when they leave, so when you can have another family. Hosting logistics aren't the only hurdle. Katya is not Ukrainian. She's Russian. For traumatized Ukrainians, just hearing Russian can be overwhelming. When I listened to Russian language, it was pain. Because Ukrainian people who left kids, they was killed uh, parents, uh, the oldest people, no house, and, and I can't listen to Russian language. Katya is not surprised to hear about Olha's discomfort with Russian. She worried about it too. Katya understands Ukrainian, but she can't speak it. I thought about it with the first family we've hosted. Then it just went smooth enough. And it was, you know, heart to heart, you know, people to people rather than anything else. Olha came to a similar realization. I answer in my questions for myself and it was easy for me. I'm mixed. My grandma was Ukrainian and as my grandma was Russian. It's normal. The next time Katya heard from Olha, she and the kids were already in Canada. But they still needed her help. When we just were about to take a family to London, where they have decided to settle, I got another message from Olya, and she was saying, I am in Toronto at the hotel, and tomorrow is our last day. Uh, do you have a space? And I said, actually, we do. But I said, my husband is in Toronto now in, in the office. So on the way back, he'll get you and, you know, bring you here. But you got to, like, you have half an hour to pack. I was shocked. <laughs> yes, and Katya said, me, you have uh, 20 minutes. Can you pack up? Yes. <laughs> if you closed your eyes and imagined the most serene, bucolic home in rural Canada you'd probably picture Katya and her husband Jason's place. It's a rustic log cabin nestled in acres and acres of woodlands that are crisscrossed with creeks and trails and teeming with wildlife. But still, moving into a stranger's house? We need to live together, and I don't know who is uh, with this woman. And I was with Jason. I don't know, okay, I don't know who is this man? Who is Katya? So by now you may be wondering the same thing Olha was. Who is this Russian woman living in Canada helping Ukrainians displaced by the war? Okay, so my name is Katya. I was born in Russia. I live in Canada for 10 years with my husband in the woods here in Caledon. And since April last year, we've been hosting many Ukrainian refugees in our house, also helping them 
getting jobs, finding a place to live on their own in Canada. Katya, her husband, and their 13-year-old son have had more than 30 Ukrainians live with them over the past year. Their home is spacious, with four floors, three bedrooms, and a large loft. There's even an enormous yurt out back. The house has two bathrooms, but only one has a shower. I mean, about 14 families actually stayed with us. The time of their stay varied from two days to two and a half months, depending on how quickly they can find a place to be, how quickly they can get a job. Many of them moved to other provinces, to PEI, to Saskatchewan, to British Columbia, to United States of America, or to different cities uh, in Ontario as well. Olha and her children stayed for about two weeks last summer before moving to Owen Sound, Ontario, two hours north of Katya's place. The municipality, with the support of local businesses, was offering housing to Ukrainian women and children fleeing the war. Olha lived rent-free for the first six months and is still paying well below market value. She's currently working in a kitchen. Plus, she just started her own business, selling pierogies and borscht at a farmer's market in Owen Sound. She sold out in less than three hours on her first day, 10 liters of borscht. Did you, did you cook a lot when you were in, back in Ukraine? No, no, no. And my husband every day asks me, are you sure? <laughs> Katya says a non-stop flow of new families like Olha's are still coming to Canada. She just feels compelled to help. You know, we never distinguish like people who lived in the former Soviet Union countries. You know, we're all so interrelated. You know, I have some Ukrainian blood in me, but I was raised in Russia. You know, we have relatives in Ukraine. Like we're same people. You know, we just all of us felt so much pain and mostly helplessness. You know, and and you understand, okay? But I mean, is there's anything maybe I can do? So I I just couldn't not do it. So I started to look into different um, Facebook groups and just invited some families to come and stay with us. And, you know, some said yes, and here it all began. Word spread quickly. The need was overwhelming. People contact me themselves now. They get about 20 requests a day from different people. Despite her impressive home, Katya says she and her husband are not rolling in money. They both work in event planning, and there's been painfully few events to plan the past few years. Hosting and helping has not been easy. By the time we hosted like four families, I didn't have spare bedding anymore. I didn't have spare towels. I didn't have spare forks and knives and plates anymore because I've already given all away. So at, and at this point, I realized, I mean, I have to ask other people to help me with that because I don't have any more to give. How much has this cost you? Oh, I've never calculated. I don't, it doesn't matter. Right. But, like, you know? To be clear, though, you're not charging them rent. Oh, no, 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 we're not charging them. And besides Olha, what do other Ukrainians think when they realize it's a Russian offering to help? Katya said she has faced some harassment on social media. Some people would take their anger towards just the Russian passport holder, and I can relate to their a reaction too, you know, because they've experienced a certain trauma, personal trauma, and, you know, they have to take this emotion somewhere. But that was just online. In person, it's been virtually non-existent. Very rarely. I mean, they're mostly maybe men. Some men would uh, say something. 
oh, you're Russian. I'd rather stay on the streets than, you know, live with the Russian. But it's okay. She said most of her guests are usually overwhelmed with gratitude. People are extremely grateful to be in a comfort area, like to to be in a place which is safe and warm and, you know, there's food on the table. After nine months of nonstop guests, Katya and her family took their first break just before Christmas. But their next Ukrainian house guests are expected in less than a week. Our new family, whom we're planning to host, they are in Germany now, and there's a big delay with their daughter's visa. So they had visa now for almost three months, but there's a huge delay for people to receive visas for their children. There's a lot of issues with, you know, children disappearing who come as refugees. So they're maybe double-checking more. They have flights? They have a flight, yeah. Mm -hmm. They just have to pray and hope. Do you want to come in and we'll call him and he'll come out? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's two days later and Katya is waiting outside a hotel in Mississauga, Ontario. She got a message that morning from someone else desperate for help. I was dropping off my son at school because he missed the bus. And uh, as I was, you know, waiting, I got a WhatsApp message from uh, this guy's sister who was asking for her brother because she said, I'm in Paris. Then we finally were able to get our brother out of Ukraine and he's in Canada now, but his hotel expires today at 11. And then uh, I said, okay, like I've got a family coming on the 5th of February, but maybe I can find somebody for him or something. So I talked to him and then I realized, yes, he really needs to check out now. So, so like how often does this happen where you just get a call? You gotta... It it's happens all the time, most likely like this. That's, that's why I'm saying it's not very planned process. Maybe this guy, maybe that's him. Actually, we open the doors, I guess. A tall, lanky young man with a mop of dark brown hair walks toward her vehicle. He looks to be in his mid-twenties and is carrying a large backpack, which he throws in the back of Katya's SUV. His face is open and inviting. He looks like he could be on a carefree backpacking trip. We climb into the back seat. He's asked that we not use his real name out of fear of repercussions, so we'll call him Sasha. So, how are you doing? I've been doing uh, great, especially I've met uh, like a lot of uh, absolutely nice people. Uh, Katya is uh, one of them, absolutely. Uh, but uh, Sasha was living in Kiev with his parents when the invasion started. Like the first days, well, first months were actually terrifying. The hardest thing was, I guess, uh, just all of your pr- plans ruined, like uh, with uh, a blink of an eye. There is, uh, well, basically nothing can be done now. Sasha's parents stayed in Kyiv. They're both still working, but he lost his job at a restaurant. He left Ukraine last fall, legally, he says. At first he thought he would stay with his sister, who was living in Paris. But then he learned Canada had opened its doors to Ukrainians fleeing the war and figured it would be a better fit with his English skills. He'd arrived two weeks earlier amidst a crush of Ukrainians landing at the airport. Arrived. More than like 400 people arrived at the day when I arrived. So we did wait in the airport for like 12 hours until we got the hotel room, but at least we've got like a place to stay in. However, the free hotel ran out this morning. 
what what would you have done today if, if you if your sister hadn't connected you with Katya? Like, where, where would you have gone? Well, the plan was actually to either find uh, the cheapest place on the Airbnb and then probably to move out to the cheaper province. So yeah, that was the plan until I actually find a job. Katya, you had mentioned that you might have uh, some leads for, for work for him. Yeah, possibly. Some people whom I know in um, London, this uh, loyal chef, he's actually from Serbia. So he's been hiring some people we've sent him. So we'll see if it works out. What does London sound like to you? That sounds awesome. <laughs> so this is Caledon. Jason would be surprised to have a guest today. <laughs> he, he doesn't know? No, no. He's to, I won't, I'll tell him in the evening. The reason why I'm spending time with Katya is Katya's from Russia. Mm. Just, were you aware of that? that not really, but uh, that's awesome. I mean, I do not see the person uh, by uh, their nation. I do see the person by their actions. So it's, it's really awesome. Here is our house. My home. We climb out of the SUV, and the smile on Sasha's face spreads wider as he takes in what will be his home now for as long as he needs it to be. We head inside. And Katya shows him around. Out here, it's a log home. It's actually Ukrainian-style log home. You know, the intricate way the, the logs are interlaid. It's awesome. It's... Is it the pinnacle of Canada? <laughs> While I'm speaking with Sasha, Katya gets a message from the Ukrainian family in Germany. They're supposed to be arriving in less than a week, but are still waiting on paperwork for their daughter. They just texted me saying that they're going to come on the 12th of March to Toronto now. I think they've changed the ticket just in case, so they have more time to get their daughter's documents ready. Right, because if they don't change the ticket, they Yeah, they'll the just ticket. lose it, yeah. Next month now. Things change so quickly that this is not anything, you know. Things never come as planned, but I think they just happen the way they meant to happen. I asked Katya what it feels like to have helped so many Ukrainians to see them now flourishing in Canada. You know, I wouldn't say they're flourishing. Like, you, you have to know the reality of things. You know, they struggle, pay their rent. Most of them are on minimum pay. So they still use food bank. You know, they cannot afford car. And they're watching news daily. So they're heartbroken. Like, their hearts are still in their country. So, I mean, I wouldn't say they're flourishing. Yeah, self-sufficient, maybe self-sufficient. Yes, the, to an extent, you know, some more than others. Olha, the mother of three in Owen Sound, tried to keep things bright and positive during our interview, but slowly her happy facade did start to slip. She admitted she struggled at times after the euphoria of their arrival wore off. She didn't feel like herself. Mechanical, yeah? Mechanical, mechanical. yes. Yeah, like you get yeah, by, by first routine. time was all mechanical, and I can't feel a love for my kids. I can feel a joy, I can feel nothing. I'm a mechanical mom, I'm a robot. And one time I said, no, it's no good. You need to look, it's a sky, it's a star, it's a sun, it's a moon. You need to go, you need to be ha happy. You're alive, it's okay. And your kids are with you, it's okay to be happy. 
inside and feel it every day and help yourself. Katya says she has no doubt that her decision to help Ukrainians has helped herself too. You know, I think I feel much more healed than other people which haven't been doing it. Because I know how much pain there still is with anybody from Ukraine or Russia or anywhere near there. Because it's endless. There's no end to this. And there probably won't be for a long time. So what I can do in this situation, I think I, I, I feel pretty grounded in uh, what my position is and you know my role is peace so i'll just help as long as i can that documentary from john chipman of the cbc's audio doc unit and we got time to squeeze in one more we story today from torbay newfoundland where Shirley Thorne has been hosting three generations of a Ukrainian family since last summer, a mom and her two little kids and their grandma, whose name is Galena Ravina. Now, Shirley is a grandma herself, so she and Galena hit it off, even though they mainly communicate through Google Translate. Andrea McGuire of CBC St. John stopped in on Shirley and Galena as they were busy in the kitchen, cooking up a traditional Newfoundland favorite of cod, potatoes, hardtack, and salt pork, known as fish and brews. What are you cooking potatoes. here? Potatoes. Potatoes. This is called, do you know? Brews. 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 This is fish. Salt, salt, and it's cod, and it's cod. It's cod. Gala, you know the little fat pork scraps we call scrunchins. What yes. do you call this? Yes, yes. yes. This is called uh, Ukraine skvarki. So no, we don't. We don't mash. We just cut up the potatoes, and uh, you know because usually we mash the potatoes, but not with this. Not with this dish. Never argue about cooking. We're ready to try this now. It's almost lunch time, so. What, what do you think? think? Good. Okay. Good. Good. This doesn't work all the time, this translate business, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. I will cook too. Such a dish for Christmas to treat yourself and you. Perfect. <laughs> This is what Gala and I do every day. So we have Google Translate, and so I'll use English to Russian. Gala, do you like the hard bread that I soaked? Okay, now it comes out down here, and I can actually have it spoken. Okay, we now now Gala is yes. going to respond yes, I respond like. to me in oh she responded in English. Yes. Yes Yes, I like uh, bread. <laughs> She's lying. She's lying. <laughs> Bad English. <laughs> We already understand each other perfectly. We do, because 
it's I don't have my phone and uh, Gala is there <laughs> going on in Ukraine and I say yes yes and then I say something in English she says yes she might not understand me but we also use sign language <laughs> You have your arms around each other right now. I'll just mention oh, that. We are well. the best of friends. <laughs> friends, friends. Yes, we I, go everywhere. I love you. I love you too. And this may need a little translation. Gala, do you want to stay in Newfoundland? This is a hard question. Yes. Yes. Very, very, very. Yes. And do you miss Ukraine? Oh, yes, duh. You're pretending to cry a little bit. Yes, every day she listens to the news about Ukraine, and some days she is so exhilarated because they're pushing back or Putin is seems to be changing his mind. And uh, other times when her two sons are over there, and of course her son-in-law mm -hmm. is fighting over there, but hopefully things will turn out fine and the two of us will go into our 80s together <laughs> in Newfoundland. <laughs> she is my best friend here now. At my age, she's 75 years old. If I was had to go to a foreign country, not know one bit of language, go to a strange place, I would not be handling it like Gala. So, you know, she's we're lucky to have each other. Gala, what does Shirley mean to you? Для нас она все, потому что без нее у нас ничего бы не получилось. Все, что мы сейчас имеем и работу и школу и все это все только благодаря ей. Поэтому мы этого никогда в жизни до конца дней не забудем. For us, she is everything, because without her, we would not have succeeded in everything that we now have, both work and school, and that's it. It's all only thanks to her. So we never start this in our lives until the end of our days. And I guess, how do you feel? Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled that she thinks so, that she thinks that way. Yeah, and stop crying, Gala. <laughs> That is just incredibly sweet. Thank you to Andrew McGuire for sharing it with us. And that's it for this week's Hell of a Story. The show was produced by Tanera McLean, Julia Poggle, and me. We're part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. And if you enjoyed this episode of Hell of a Story, leave us a review. We read them all. Or you can rate us, like, Five stars, six, seven stars. Leave a seven-star review. It helps people find us. Jimmy Gwitch, I'm Duncan McHugh. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.